0: You have a talented pastor. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> a wonderful song. We both like Robert brother, Mary <laughs> so, uh This morning I'm going to uh, continue what I did in Sunday school a little bit in that we are going to be looking at scripture through Jewish eyes. And uh, This is a doctrine and a way of approach to Scripture that's rooted in the Incarnation. Mm. And the reason for that is when God became flesh, He became Jewish flesh. Mm. And so in order to better understand our Savior, we have to understand both His deity and His humanity. His perfect humanity. Mm -hmm. And He was only perfect Jewish person that ever lived. <laughs> I know a lot of Jewish mothers think it's the child. But that's that's not quite it. And so I've been thinking a lot uh, as I watch uh, you know, some people uh, struggle. And I go through my own. And sometimes you, you question. And uh, not that we would admit it to most people, but sometimes we question whether or not this whole thing is worth it. Is it worth... It? I mean, think. You could all be multi, multi-millionaires. No, well... <laughs> but if, if you think about it... Uh, I actually, I had this little conversation uh, with a friend. And I said, you know, when I became a believer, I didn't know that I would then have this obligation to, like, the entire world, you know? <laughs> you know? You you get saved because you feel you're lost, and you and you want relief from your sin, from your guilt, and from your shame. Jesus saves you and washes you and cleanses you and gives you hope, Then you find out all the, all the things you've got to do. I mean, I would love it if I could just sit on a plane flight, flying for four hours, and not worry about the salvation of the person next to me. <laughs> I want to just read a book.
1: <laughs>
0: and yet, the Lord saves us and gives us a calling, uh, and we become His arms and legs, His voice, mm-hmm. and, uh, and He is going to do this great work of touching the lives of others and bringing people into heaven mm-hmm. uh, through us. I, I think He could have done better. <laughs> Uh, certainly with them with me. But the Lord gets all the glory, you know, if if anybody uh, comes to know Him. Uh, Because uh, I'll bet, uh, if I ask you the question, how many of you really feel like you pray enough, raise your hand, you know? Mm -hmm. How many of you really feel like you witness enough, you can raise your other hand. (laughs) You know, all of us as believers, that the longer you are a believer, Understand that we have obligations that go beyond our human capability. And yet the Lord gives us strength to do these things. And at the end of it all, I hope that we all believe it's worth it. Um, and so I want to take a, uh, in light of that, I want to take a look at an interesting passage from what I think is the most Jewish of the Gospels. And that's the Gospel of Jonah. No. A lot of people would argue that Matthew's the most Jewish of the Gospels. And it certainly was a Jewish Gospel because Matthew was Jewish. And But I think John is, is very, very Jewish in the way uh, it plays out. I mean, after all, uh, quite a few chapters of the Gospel of John all take place at a Passover seder. We call it the Unroomed Discourse, but it actually was a Passover seder. And Jesus did some of his major teaching in Passover. And so I want you to open up to the Gospel of John, chapter 9. And chapter 9 in the Gospel of John is about the healing of the blind man. And uh, hopefully we'll we'll, we'll get to to know him better uh, as we go through this chapter. Uh, I did go to seminary like 40 years ago, I guess. I don't know, a long time ago. And I actually had forgotten how to preach. And so... I have reverted back to my childhood. And and so Jewish preaching is, you just stumble around the text. You know, religious Jewish people, actually, I think, are more, they're more committed to the text sometimes than even the best of our evangelical preachers. Because that's what Jewish people do. We just look at the text, we look at the words, and we talk about it. You know, do we try and make them look pretty in the way we talk about, but not really, we just stumble through the text and we try and let the Word of God do this, do the talking. And so that's what I'm going to do this morning, and uh, John is very story-like, so it's going to be very story-like uh, this morning. But chapter 9 is sandwiched between, you ready, this is going to start with chapters 8 and 10. <laughs> and, but chapters 8 and 10 are, are pretty active chapters. And uh, in chapter eight, you have one attempt to kill Jesus, and then in chapter ten, you have another attempt to kill Jesus and get him out of the way. And you ask yourself, what what did he do that was so wrong? I mean, what what did he really do? And I think what we're going to see that Jesus, what Jesus really did was. He said that you guys are wrong Mm -hmm. and that you've taken power that you shouldn't have, religious authority you shouldn't have. And that religious authority belongs to the word, to God himself, and I am God in the flesh. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I have the last word. And I think it was a power struggle between Jesus and the Pharisees uh, I read something the other day and I finally wrote a complaint letter to a Christian magazine. <laughs> I try to be nice, but... Uh, so I wrote a uh, Because they accused the Pharisees of being so evil. Just a, all Pharisees do all these evil, wicked things. Now, in Judaism, just so you know, the Pharisees were good guys. And uh, and so sometimes the word Pharisee becomes a synonym for somebody who's getting bad were evil, okay? And you can read the text in that way. But I'm here to tell you that there were a lot of good Pharisees. Well, at least they were as good as us. <laughs> we all need saving, say, you know, but, but but the Pharisees had a certain view on religious authority, religious life. And Jesus had some really tough encounters with them. Look, look at one of them with me in chapter 8, okay? Uh, in chapter 8... I uh, want to teach you a little bit about how to read this. So there was a, a, a confrontation with Jesus and the Pharisees in, the, in chapter 8. And in verse 56, Yeshua, we call him by his Hebrew name sometimes, said, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Now that got their attention.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, we thought Abraham died a long time ago. So... He says, so, so the Jews said to him, now, whenever John uses the word Jews, he's speaking about those Jewish people that are against Jesus. Because you understand, John is Jewish, who's right, and Jesus is Jewish. And the, the use of the word Jews as a negative term created, or viewed as a negative term, created tremendous anti Semitism within, within medieval Europe. And led to a lot of persecutions of the Jewish people, which led to the Jewish people closing themselves off to the gospel. So there were tremendously negative implications for the way you, you understand this. And so when I use the word Jews, and John uses the word Jews, and, and some modern Jewish scholars understand that this was a family battle, it wasn't Jews as opposed to Gentiles. It was these Jews as opposed to those Jews. So it's not all Jews. It's those Jewish people who were against Jesus. That's all. So so the Jewish people who were against Jesus said, You're not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said, I love this. He said, Truly, truly, I said to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Wow. Well, I guess he didn't, wasn't afraid of antagonizing. Before Abraham was, I am, and uh, uh, John knew his tenses. That's supposed to be the present tense. Mm -hmm. And uh, that speaks to the eternality of God wrapped in the flesh. Mm -hmm. So before Abraham was born, I am. So what was the response? Civil discourse. Not quite. (laughs) Verse 59 Therefore they, the Jewish people against Jesus, picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus said himself, but Jesus hid himself and went out to the temple. Well, why? What, what, what transpired? Okay. When I have discussions with ultra-orthodox Jewish people in the Holy Land, Brooklyn, where I live, <laughs> when, when, I, when I have in-depth, decent conversations where you know they're not yelling at me and, and we're not antagonizing each other. Um, There can actually be a discussion about heaven and hell. There is a Jewish view of hell, and there is a Jewish view of heaven. And uh, and some more honest, ultra-Orthodox Jews will just outright tell me, you know, I I do believe you belong to hell. I said, well, that's okay, I feel the same way about you. (laughs) It's an honest discussion. (laughs) We tiptoe around these things, but if if you say it in the right way, it's Okay. And I said, uh, you know, you don't believe Jesus is the Messiah, so, you know, that's it for you. <laughs> and, of course, then they say, well, you believe Jesus is God, right? I said, absolutely. He said, well, that's it for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Abod Zerah. Abod Zerah. It is a uh, evil uh, work, uh, evil belief, mm. because Jewish people are so against worshiping human beings that the idea that God could wrap Himself in the flesh and be worshipped by a human being as God coming in flesh is, is is reprehensible to a Jewish person. And so that's that's the biggest struggle, and it's the only thing that puts a Jew in hell because it makes me an idolater. And idolatry, and that's why they picked up stones, because you were claiming to be God. You're a human being. You are not only guilty of idolatry; you're guilty of causing idolatry among other people. You know, and so they they said that's worthy of capital punishment. Now, in chapter ten, we see the same thing, same kind of dialogue, and. Um, Jesus uh, is during the Feast of Hanukkah, Feast of Dedication. And uh, verse 22, uh, Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking the temple of the Portico of Solomon to the Jews that gathered around him who were saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus said, I told you. And you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, he's testified of me. It's going to drive us back to chapter 9. But you do not believe me because you're not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my father's hand, just like uh, McShane said. Verse 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand and then he just completely blows it such a, that really antagonizes it. It's not like Jesus didn't know what he was doing. Okay? He said, I am the father of our one. Oh, whoops. What, what do you mean by that? Well, he had just told, them. now he tells them again, I am the father of one. What? So what's the, again, the uh, civil discourse response? So verse 31, the, the Jews against Jesus picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus said, I show you many good works from the Father, for which of them are you stoning me? the Jews answered, and it said, for a good work, we don't stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. Mm. Again, Jesus responds to that. But the whole idea of incarnation, the idea that God can become a man, is considered idolatry by Jewish people. Now, most of, the only salvation you have in talking to your Jewish friends is they don't know enough about Judaism to throw stones at you, <laughs> but it is, it is a cardinal anti-Jewish doctrine to believe in the Incarnation. and why? You know, sometimes we think about evil motivation, but this really comes from good, mm-hmm. because it says in the Ten Commandments, no other gods, and no forms, Right? Mm-hmm. And so the Jewish people who are saying no to Jesus because he claims to be God in the flesh feel that they are acting in accord, in obedience to the total, to the five that supposes, to the Ten Commandments. Even though in the Bible itself we read a multitude of passages, Isaiah 7.14, uh, you know, uh, about the virgin conceiving and bearing a son, you will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, his names will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's not that it's not in the Hebrew Bible. It's just that this overriding tradition of not believing a man can be God is just so important to Jewish people and it's, in Judaism, it's worthy of capital punishment. Hmm. So, I'm lucky I'm still alive, right? Mm -hmm. It's hard to do capital punishment in New York. Get arrested. So, we have this power encounter. We have the Messiah coming, revealing himself, saying that he's died in the flesh, and we have religious Jewish people who are trying to serve God, trying to be faithful, saying, whoa, whoa, that is completely awful resurrection. You know, and so you're worthy of Punishment. And so that's the nature of the conflict. Now sandwich, corned beef in the in between the rye, <laughs> is, is in John chapter 9. And it's uh, in order to understand John chapter 9, you kind of have to understand Isaiah 35. Don't bother turning there, because it'll take you a while. But in Isaiah chapter 35, um, it's quoted by the disciples of uh, well, it's, it's quoted by John the Baptist. This is the, John, it, it, God placed these words in the mouth of John the Baptist when the disciples of Jesus went to see what John thought about Jesus. And so John quoted from Isaiah 35. He said, <clears throat> Say to those of anxious heart, Take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come in vengeance. The recompense of God will come. But he will save you. He'll save you. What else? Verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout joy, for waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams from the Arba. In other words, when this Savior comes, when the Messiah comes, he will perform miracles that could only be done in the power of so if you're asking whether or not the, Jesus is the Messiah, look at what he does. Mm-hmm. Look at what he does. If he does what a human being could not ordinarily do, then he's the one. Mm-hmm. Then he's the one. And so it's not just that he claimed to be God. It's just that he also did the works of God. Now, we have a very interesting power encounter in Brooklyn. Uh, interesting, because a rabbi of a Hasidic sect, who died about 20 plus years ago, um, nobody ever claimed that he was God in the flesh, but they did claim that he did miracles. He did miracles. And uh, he used to bless dollar bills, and people's businesses went well. We should have <laughs> I think he would have blessed chosen people. Don't. <laughs> and and he would have words of knowledge. He would, he would, uh, he would heal uh, sometimes. And, you know, you hear these stories. I've never actually encountered somebody that I could actually say it really happened. Uh, but there is this sense that the Messiah could do miracles, but it not go as far as to say he's has in the flesh. Hmm. So chosen people likes to do surveys. Uh, I've gotten into it in my old age, you know. And uh, we genuinely want to know what people are thinking so we can speak to them intelligently. And so we've done a lot of surveys of evangelicals and how they feel about Jewish people in Israel and things like that. And maybe you've seen some of that data. You can look on our website. We've done some major, major uh, surveys. And so we finally did a survey that was just completed uh, this past week, and you are now the first group to hear any of this information. Okay. So, so don't, don't, don't do an interview or let us control the information. So, so the, uh, we, I'm working with two not-yet-believing uh, Jewish scholars. One is a uh, sociology of religion guy, and the other is a Ph.D. in statistics and politics. He's Ukrainian. The other one is, is Israeli. And we've been doing a bunch of these surveys and they've been helping to interpret them. They're brilliant guys. They're very, very nice. They're not believers, but they're incredibly interested in what Christians think about Jewish people, particularly as it might impact Israeli politics. And uh, and then they're very interested in what therefore what average Israelis think. So we kind of uh, they do the work, we pay the money. and uh, And And so we just finished a first ever survey in Hebrew of over a thousand Israelis by phone, screened and then by phone, on what they think about evangelicals, Jesus, and Christianity in general. And of course, my two friends, they wanted to swing it a little more political than I really care about. Although it's interesting. And I wanted to get in. Missionary kind of questions. <laughs> you know, I'm witnessing to them constantly. And and so uh, we asked the question, and I can only
2: tell you this one, and that is how many of you think that the Messiah is still to come
0: and will bring in world peace? Okay? Now, I don't know how you're gonna take these numbers, but it was 55% said yes to that, 45% said no. Wow. Now, it's interesting, I can't believe it was 55%, because Israel is so secular. Now, you might say, what was the orthodox number in there? The ortho- ultra-orthodox number, because we asked what kind of Judaism they practice, was 14%.
1: Mm-hmm. So, this is it's an
0: astounding number, I think. So, that makes me think that we should... Continuing preaching the gospel to Israelis,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. just saying, letting them know that the Messiah has come, and he brought in one sense of peace. (laughs) He's coming soon. You bring in another one. You want to be on the right side of that.
2: Hallelujah.
0: The second thing we asked, and this completely floored me, because we're dealing with you know very secular Israelis for the most part, and we asked, "Do you believe that the Messiah will do miracles?" I slipped that question. And they reframed reframed it, but it was in a good way. Almost 70% said yes. Can you imagine? We're talking like your everyday Jewish friends and workmates and gamers who are very secular and maybe celebrate the holidays. And you know more about the Bible and the Old Testament than they do. But 67%, almost 70%. So this whole tradition... Of the Messiah doing miracles goes way, way back and continues, at least among Israelis, till this day. We're about to do a similar survey of American Jews. We'll see. You'll have to invite me back, Jim. I'll let you have okay. So this whole issue of the Messiah doing miracles as an attestation of who he is. Is something that is really deep in the consciousness and soul of the Jewish people. And in John chapter 9, we have a major miracle. Mm-hmm. A major miracle. A blind man is about to see. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm just going to work my way through the text. And, you know, when I'm done, I'll just watch the time. If I finish it, I'm done. If not, I'll just be done. <laughs> so, Obviously, at this point in the story of the Gospel of John, the tension between Jesus and the Jewish leaders is getting fierce. They just tried to kill him once, and then they are about to try and kill him again, and then eventually he dies. So, So the power encounter is heating up between Jesus and the Jewish leaders. So, here's the story. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. That's very important because it's not somebody who could see and then had an accident and could no longer see. This is someone who was never seen.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him. So these are the Jewish disciples of Jesus. They asked him a theological question. Don't you wish you were that? Mm-hmm. I have a lot of theological questions I would like to ask Jesus personally. Uh, so they said, Rabbi, who sent this man or his parents that he would be born blind? Talk about a trick question. Usually he was getting trick questions from the opposition. Now he's getting trick questions from the believers. Maybe they just don't know anybody. Well, there was, there is a view in Judaism, it's not necessarily prevalent, uh, but there is a view that Children suffer for the sins of their parents. Mm-hmm. It's not far from wrong, but is it? Mm-hmm. If our parent was Adam, mm-hmm. you know, we can all say we didn't do it. But the truth is, he did it and we do it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we inherit his nature.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, who said this man or his parents that he would be born blind? Mm-hmm. So Jesus answers. He said, and I don't know the answer, it was neither this man nor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It was neither this man, uh, that sin, nor his parents. That's why. That's why I loved. I loved Jesus. The first time I met him, and the first time I read through the New Testament, I said, "He is a shrewd, sharp New Yorker." You know. <laughs> Never ask a New Yorker a straight question if you want a straight answer. You know. Come on. It was neither this man nor his parents. But it was so that the works of God might be displayed in Him. Wow. Mm-hmm. So in other words, there are bad things that can happen to people that for mm-hmm. a, that happen for a good purpose so that God is glorified. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that is one of the toughest things to accept in life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. We're talking very personal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, because some of us may have children who were born blind or, or something wrong with that. And, you know, and you can... It's easy to say, well, oh, God's going to be glorified through this, but it's another thing to live through. Mm-hmm. But there's no doubt that if we accept the Bible's view on life and reality, that this is true. It happens. Mm-hmm. We, and Jesus says, we must work the works of him who's, uh, who sent me as long as it's day. Night is coming when no one can work. Uh, I won't preach on that one. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Okay, now we're getting set up here. John is very literary. We don't know what's about to happen to this blind man, but Jesus is already giving a hand. So there's more to seeing than being able to see. When he said this, he spat on the ground, Okay, and he made clay out of the spittle and applied the clay to the blind man's eyes. I don't know about you, but that's a rather weird response. Okay? And then it says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So That's where there was living water coming in and out of it. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. What an odd way to do a miracle. You know, um, I'm just so grateful that a bunch of Christians are not selling Jerusalem mud. (laughs) for healing purposes (laughs) Uh, Jesus healed differently almost every time to try and make the point that it wasn't the technique it wasn't the way it was done it was the person Mm -hmm. it's the healer not the method of healing so Jesus does this but he has another reason for doing it this way which I'll tell you in a moment I know this sounds odd but Jesus knows what he's doing Okay. He's going to make a point. So he went away and washed and came back See, Very complicated process, really. So this is now one of the funniest parts of the entire Bible. If you can't laugh, um, then you're going to be miserable on this one. So, <laughs> verse 8. Therefore, the neighbors of those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Okay. So, there was such a, a transformation over the blind man who could now see. Maybe he found a mirror and combed his hair for the first time. I don't know, but but something transpired. Yeah. And I've actually seen this in people. I saw it just just I was just in England. I was with a, a guy who had who was a believer and then was not walking with the Lord for like thirty years, and he was the grumpiest guy you ever want to meet in your life. You know. His wife was a boy and Christian. His kids were boy and Christians. He had been a missionary in the Jews for seven or eight years. But he was so far away from God. He was a, he was a chore to be around. Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. And I just went back to England. And his wife had told me, you know, my husband came back to faith. And I said, oh, that's good. I couldn't imagine him, you know. And I spent two days with him. He was like, oh my gosh. What happened to this guy? He was the most joyful Christian. He was so delightful. He was laughing and joking and praising God. And he was, was I mean you could you think, before it was always like this, you know, and now he's just, you know, you can see it in his face. You know, sometimes when Jesus touches us, you know, we're transformed. Amen. Not just inside, it comes out. Mm-hmm. And so, verse 9, others were saying this is he, still others were saying, No, but it's like him. <laughs> I wish I was there for that one. So there was now debate as to whether or not the man born blind was indeed the same blind man who was born that way, or whether or not he was some kind of imposter. <laughs> but look at what text says, but he kept saying, the blind one kept the man said, I, I'm the one. <laughs> Okay? So you had this debate, because the, the, the Jewish people said it's not him. The Jewish people said, yeah, it's him. The others said, oh, it's like him. And then the blind man said, it's me. It's me. <laughs> so they were saying to him verse 10, how then will your eyes open? He answered, okay, and this is Remember, he couldn't see he probably didn't have a lot of social interaction at the time you know there was not a lot of uh, you know government help for people who were born alive and, you know you know and and so the answer straightforward this is just straight out almost in a naive way well the man who's called Jesus made clay anointed my eyes and said to me go to Siloam and wash so I went away and I washed and I received sight isn't that what happens to everybody I've never seen that before, but then again, I've never seen anything before, you know? mm. So plain. but here's the funniest line in the whole thing. <laughs> they said to him, where is he? <laughs> the guy was <that's> flying. <laughs> How would he know where he was? He couldn't see him. <laughs> so he said, I don't know. <laughs> That's how you know the Bible is true. You can have, really, these high-level arguments, but just read the text, and you can say, no, no one would write this if it wasn't true. So, verse 13, the plot thickens. They brought him to the Pharisees. The man was formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath day. okay, now we've got some information. It was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the claim, opened his eyes. Now... Why is that a big deal? Because it's not that Jesus healed on the Sabbath, it's that he made clay on the Sabbath. There are 39 Sabbath rules you cannot break, and creating dust is one of them. Well. Wow. Because it implies work. Mm-hmm. And this is well known, it's well known then. Maybe they didn't have all 39 because the Mishnah wasn't codified for another 200 years. But we know that it was, it was, it was there. So the question is, did Jesus do that intentionally to antagonize the Pharisees? Well, of course he did. So then the Pharisees were asking again how he received the sight. And he said to them, blind man, Okay, well, he applied to my eyes, and I washed, and I could see so some of the Pharisees were saying, this man's not from God, because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. He broke not the Sabbath, but he broke the laws around the Sabbath. And even in Judaism today, this is where it really gets sticky, there's something called the saving of a life. The saving of a life. So you can break this the Sabbath to save a life. It's called pikuach nefesh. It's a very important Jewish doctrine. You can save a life on the Sabbath. That's why we have so you ever see those Jewish ambulances in Orthodox areas? Well, they're driving on the Sabbath. You know, how could you drive on the Sabbath? Oh, because you're saving a life. So there is that that little loophole. You know, you can't save a life. What they were say was, "No, he was just blind. You weren't saving his life." Jesus disagreed with the interpretation. So they said, "This man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath because he was just blind." But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And that's a little, this is, I'm going to throw this in for free so that Jim knows that I can at least have some sense of what Greek words mean. So this is the Greek word for sign that indicates that we would define as a testing miracle. It is a miracle, they're all throughout job. It's an attesting miracle where these signs are miracles designed to reveal truth. Okay? So, and there there was a division among them. Two Jews, three opinions. Verse 17. So they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he's a prophet. Now, the blind man was not a theologian. Just so you know. He never read the Torah. He couldn't see. Okay. And he probably didn't go to synagogue because he was viewed as someone that there was something wrong with. He had a defect. He wasn't wasn't allowed to go to the temple. He had a defect. And so he didn't know a lot, but he knew that Jesus was a prophet. So the Jews against Jesus did not believe it of him that he had been blind and received sight. So, you know, this is the shoot the messenger. So now that they can't disprove the miracle, they say, well, the miracle never happened because he was never really but everybody knew he was blind. So they called the parents of the very one who had received the sight. So now they're calling the parents in for an ad hoc court to prove that their kid was never blind. Okay? Do you look at this text like this? Anyway. Just in verse 19, and they questioned him, saying, Is this your son who was born blind? How's that for a question? Now, I know children that will not admit that we are their parents. I mean, at certain ages. Was that your parent who just came into the room and and made that face? I never saw the person. (laughs) (laughs) So is this your son who was born blind? Then how does he now see? Verse 20. His parents answered them and said, well, we know that this is our son. Mazel tov, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. You, you admitted that that was your child. You know, what? A, what how, how wonderful. And that he was born blind. Yeah, okay, you got us on that one. We were there. Verse 21, but how he now sees, we have no idea. Or who opened his eyes, we don't know. And here's the worst of it. Ask him, he's had a bar mitzvah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, he's of age. He'll speak for himself. So, I mean, you know Jewish parents. I mean, if if a doctor pulled out a tooth successfully, they'd be running throughout the neighborhood advertising the, the dentist. You know? <laughs> uh, so, this this is not a neutral thing. But Why, why did it happen? Well, verse 22, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews for the Jews against Jesus had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be the Messiah, he was to be excommunicated, put out of the synagogue. So there was a cultural threat, an existential threat to the parents because of this power disagreement between Jesus and the Jewish leaders. And so the parents were threatened and Do I think that the parents lied? Absolutely. Was Jesus well known at that time as someone walking around Jerusalem doing miracles? Of course he was. So they lied. And they said, for this reason, ask him. So verse 24. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He then answered Now this blind man just was like like a glutton for punishment. He then asked whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know that I was blind, but now I see. So try and persuade me otherwise. Mm -hmm. So they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I mean, they're really trying to get a confession out of this. Verse 27. He asked him and said, This is how I know that the blind man is actually a New Yorker as well. He, he said, I told you already. And you didn't listen. Why, why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? Whoa, whoa, whoa. This guy had footstool. Then verse 28, they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We don't know that. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he's from. The man answered and said, well, here's an amazing thing. You don't know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. Mm-hmm. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-bearing and does this, will, he hears them. Since the beginning of time, it's never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered, you were born entirely in sins, and are you teaching us? Mm-hmm. So they put him out too. Whoa. This poor guy was in the synagogue and out of the synagogue on the same day. <laughs> <laughs> but nobody could back him down. Yeah. Nobody could back again. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, but hold on to it for a minute. Was he a believer? Was he born again mm-hmm. at this point? Don't answer. Okay, hold on to it. All right, so verse 35. See, Jim, I'm not going to take until 2. Jim knows I have to get a plane tonight to to Texas, so, you know. But we could take all day on this. Verse 35. Jesus heard him, heard that they had put him out and found him. Now that to me is one of the most beautiful passages of scripture. It meant
1: that Jesus had an eye on the man who could now see.
0: In the midst of thousands, in the midst of a crowd, we have to remember that he counts the hairs on our head, Mm -hmm. and that he never loses sight of us. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so he found him, and he says, "Do you believe in the Son of Man... Some of you mistakenly might think that that refers to his humanity. It actually refers to his deity. If you go back to Daniel chapter 7, you'll see that Son of Man was an appellative for deity because it goes back to seeing the Son of Man with the clouds of heaven coming. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, quite honestly, he said, who is he? By this time, maybe... The blind man recognized his voice, but you understand, he had never seen Jesus. Never saw him. He was blind when all this happened. So who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who's talking to you. You've seen him. And he's the one who's talking with you. And what is the only proper response to meeting Jesus in in his healing power and knowing that it's him, hearing his voice? He had no other choice. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Mm. It was the most significant thing the blind man could do. You see, the blind man, I don't think, was saved. I think the blind man got saved. Mm -hmm. He heard his voice and he saw Jesus because salvation is personal. Mm -hmm. Salvation happens when you give yourself to Jesus Christ.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: It's not just a matter of belief or doctrine or knowing the right things or the right words. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: It's knowing that he is who he says he is. Mm -hmm. And this man had experienced his power and his love and gave his life to him. And Jesus said, "For judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. Jim, that's the doctrine of judicial blindness. It is a reformed doctrine from the almost from the beginning. There are some people who believe we preach the gospel in order to not give people an excuse. That's not our motivation, but it is a fact of the gospel presentation. Yes. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, Oh boy, now it gets really personal. You know, remember this is between 8 and 10. Tension is really thick. So the Pharisees said, we're not blind too, are we? See, now they're starting to get the point. Mm. And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. They were fully accountable mm-hmm. for what they saw. For what they didn't accept, but what they saw. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> is it worth it? Well, ask the blind man. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you. It's absolutely worth it. Because in Jesus. We have our life and our joy. Uh, I filled out a reference form for one of the most god- one of the godliest men I know, my friend David, and uh, for his participation in the conf- conference. It was an online reference form, and they didn't ask me to check boxes. They wanted me to write something. Oops. Get and they said, and the question was. How do you measure his spiritual maturity? And I just wrote down, he loves Jesus with everything he has. It's worth it, dear brothers and sisters. He's the one who heals. He's the one who saves. He's the one who will bring us to himself to live forever. He's always worth it. Yes. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are everything to us. Mm -hmm. And Lord, um, sometimes we talk around it. But Lord, we all want to confess that you are our greatest love, our greatest joy. Mm -hmm. You are the one in whom we have life. And without you, Lord, we confess we have nothing. And Lord, we pray that you might help us bring this message of your life and your love and your light to our friends and loved ones who are spurged and blind and who need a clear vision of who you are. Lord, if you can use us in any way to touch the lives of others as you've touched ours, Lord, we give ourselves to you. And we pray that you would use us. And we pray all of this in the name of the one who is the light of the world, the love of our lives. Jesus our Messiah. Amen.
2: Amen. Amen.